What's up, Roadrunner fans? Welcome to episode 214 of the Alamo Audible podcast. This is your host, Jared Kalmus, flying solo for this introduction and for our guest interview today. Uh, and that's because my co-host, Adrian Muniz, is literally at the hospital with his wife right now as uh, they get ready to welcome their firstborn child. So uh, we wish Adrian and his wife all the best uh, today through the delivery process and uh, you know moving forward. Uh, with their uh, newborn son. So <laughs> we're really excited to have Adrian back after a bit of a hiatus, and uh, we're definitely thinking of them. So that being said, moving on, episode 214 is a really fun one. As of this week, UTSA is now a member of the American Athletic Conference. Moving on to bigger and better things, baby. So as we move into this new conference, I was really looking forward to starting a new series on the podcast. I'm just kind of kind of get the AAC introduction series. My goal for these is for all of us as UTSA fans to get to know our new neighbors, right? Uh, not only know a little bit about their football programs, but also understand where they're coming from, uh, the cities that they live in, the academic profile of their institutions, what their culture is like, uh, what's the history of their football programs, you know, what other sports are they really passionate about. Um, and also get to know some of the personalities around the conference as well. You know, I talk with my friends all the time that one of the best things about moving into the AAC is uh, not only the better media exposure through television and streaming, uh, but also the people that cover these programs um, are just a lot of fun and really sharp, knowledgeable, bigger fan bases. Uh, it's definitely a lot easier for me to find people to bring on the podcast for AAC programs than it was for a lot of Conference USA schools. So it's really exciting. And uh, the first one we have on today is Robert Steege. Robert has been a Twitter follow of mine for a long time. Uh, so you're going to get to know him on this podcast. And he's going to introduce his alma mater, the USF Bulls. So great conversation with him. A lot of fun. Definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, he covers the program, or I guess used to cover the program, for the SB Nation site, the Daily Stampede. Unfortunately, you guys may have seen a lot of SB Nation sites are getting shut down as Vox goes through a bit of an economic downturn. So it's really a damn shame. Um, I'll spare the rest of my thoughts on that. Uh, but they will be launching a new independent platform really soon. It's in the works behind the scenes. Uh, so, you know, stay tuned for details on that. We'll be sure to blast it out ourselves. And, you know, speaking of coverage platforms, uh, I can also announce that Alamo Audible is now on Threads, uh, which is uh, Facebook slash Meta's answer to Twitter. Uh, it's been fun. I've enjoyed, you know, the UTSA conversation on there so far. So you can follow us there, the same handles, at Alamo Audible. And then I have my own account, at Jared UTSA. So if you guys are checking out threads and maybe making the jump to that app, uh, be sure to follow us on there. And, you know, we'll kind of be doing split coverage on Twitter, I guess. And we'll see how this stuff shakes out. But, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be over there as well. So go give us a follow. So before we cut over to the interview with Robert, I do want to say thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers as always. We had two recent bonus episodes go out in the last couple of weeks. Uh, the first one was a Conference USA retrospective that Adrian and I did, and a lot of memories came back. You know, maybe even some realizations of of what went right, what went what what went wrong uh, with Conference USA, and you know, kind of how UTSA benefited from being a member of that conference, and you know, some of the high points low points and I think it just serves as a good like kind of memory capsule of where the program was at in this point in time and probably be fun to revisit in the future. Um, Dan also had 
uh, episode as well, where he did a senior uh, baseball roster appreciation post and kind of shared his memories of each of the guys that will be moving on from the baseball program. Um, and that was cool as well. There were a couple of moments on there that put a big smile on my face as I was editing that podcast. So I hope you guys check that out as uh, you know we continue to provide the off-season coverage that you guys are looking for. And thank you to our newest subscriber. Mike has joined us at the Booster Tier on Patreon, and he joins our big money donors, including Ben Tovar, Rick Cortez of Rowdy Road Grillers, The Bunch Family, Zach Esperiqueta on the San Antonio Podcast Network, The Fikes Family, and Homefield Apparel, where you can use the discount code UTSA once homefield. I love to keep repeating that every episode. Uh, you'll get 15% off your first purchase or 10% off a purchase if you're a returning customer. And of course, uh, you'll be supporting us and Dave Campbell's Texas Republic of Football Podcast Network. Oh, I think I bundled that. Oh, I'm listening to the, the Rice Roost Podcast and they, every time they do their intro, they fumble the words. So we're all learning. We're all new. We're going to get it down. And thank you to our Board of Trustees members for their continual loyal dedication to supporting us. That includes Digiteek, John Otwell, Lino Perez of Los Dos Rally Tailgating, Gary and Ruben representing the UTSA Bird Gang Tailgate, Ray Redding and Meet Me Apparel, Brandon Grail and the Grail Realty Group, and Andy Elizade and Proficient Benefit Solutions. So without further ado, thank you guys for your support, and we'll go ahead and cut over to the interview with Robert. And I hope you guys enjoy getting to know USF a bit better. I think Tulane is going to be the next if we can work the scheduling out. So stay tuned. Hey guys, before we turn the interview on, I do want to give a quick disclaimer that there is some adult language in this interview. So if you're in the car, you got the ninos with you, don't say I didn't warn you. I'm going to pause for a little bit, give you a chance to pause, maybe put the earbuds in. All right, let's get to it. All right, y'all, here I am with Robert Siege. Robert. Thank you so much for coming on. Do you want me to call you Steege or Robert? Because I've always known you as uh, Steege on Twitter. Steeg with a with a hard G will uh, will will suffice on that. But I'll go by Rob, Robert, Steeg, Steeg Life, whatever you want to call me at this point. Steeg um, Life. I go by anything at this rate. Nice man. I, I love a man with many nicknames. So it means you're the life of the party or something. I guess I don't know. But it's always <laughs> uh, a good thing. Something like that. Yeah. Well, so like I said, this is uh, our first of our AAC introduction podcast series. So really just reaching out to uh, a lot of folks across the conference to not only get to know the football program a little bit, but also the school. I mean, I think it's a cool opportunity to get to know some of these uh, programs and schools across the country that UTS fans haven't been exposed to too much before. A couple of schools that we shared a spot in Conference USA with for like one year. But, you know, you don't really get to know the neighbors Maybe, you know, waved them from the porch. You didn't get to share a six-pack or anything like that. So we're looking forward to it, and, and thank you for being the first one on. But uh, before we start talking about USF and, and all of that good stuff, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and, like, how you kind of came into covering the program and and kind of your backstory with all that, if you don't mind? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So I uh, had been a contributor with the Daily Stampede, which was the uh, the artist formerly known as Voodoo Five under SB Nation. Oh, that's that a throwback. Yeah. yeah, very old. Uh, well before my time. Um, but we I had been a part of that since uh, shoot 2018. Um, just writing, contributing. Uh, I was a photographer with them as well and a credentialed member of the media, um, like anyone else would be on SB Nation. And kind of revolved into more of the uh, the Illuminati podcast that covers USF athletics as well. And that was our bread and butter for five years. And then uh, we got the call on uh, July 1st that, hey, you know, we're going to shutter the site. So I'm technically uh, a free agent at this point uh, when it comes to uh, USF stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there might be something in the works that I can uh, tease on this podcast. So um, that's been kind of my uh, my mo. Um, you know, I, I I try to cover USF in a very approachable way. Um, you'll you'll if you follow me on Twitter, you'll kind of see it. I'll give you the information. I'll give you the things you want to know. Uh, but I'll also be straight up honest with it. I'll paint everything in the light that I see it fit. I don't mm-hmm. like to uh, you know paint too much in the negative light at all. Um, and then mostly more than anything, and I, anyone who follows me will know, I tweet about Survivor uh, probably about 24-7 about, right? So Yeah, you beat me uh, to the punch on that one. <laughs> I, I try to keep it uh, about 50-50. So hard-hitting USF information, the stuff that you need to know, why you need to know it, who's who's happening on the recruiting trail or anything like that. And then the other 50% of my tweets <laughs> talking about how South Pacific is one of the worst seasons of Survivor. Uh, Survivor Gabon is one of the best seasons. Winners at War is overrated. I could go on and on about it all day. Awesome. Like, I feel like we have that in common where we have like extreme niches in our life. And from the outside looking at it, it's just like what's going on in these dudes' brains. You know, like for me, it's like emo music, video games, cybersecurity, and UTSA football. Like, there's no one else <laughs> in the world that's going to blend those topics together way in one place for you so it's cool uh but you know speaking of twitter i i I think you guys have already started to realize that utsa and usf like twitter personas and like twitter engagements very similar i mean it seems like you guys are similar to utsa and like very proud of your program right very passionate but also like there to have a good time like a lot of memes a lot of jokes right so um i i felt that way for a long time because i've been following usf for quite a while so it's been cool to see uh you know, more, I guess, more UTSA fans start to realize that. And I don't know what it is, the youthfulness of the schools, I guess, because they were, they were founded around the same time. But yeah, it's young alumni base and all the, I guess, all the uh, uh, craziness that comes along with that. I was about to say, I mean, sports can can cause some people to get crazy. And growing up in the South, you'll see it at, you know, Florida and Georgia games and South mm-hmm. Carolina, even South Carolina games. But then you come to USF in a school that's, young and is trying to establish its own identity and you can kind of say hey let's let's have fun with this let's not be right. those fans that get in fights in the stands and you know yells at eight 17 year olds on twitter for not choosing their university you know it's about having fun that's that's the main thing about college sports it's you know what should be going in one ear is having fun and out the other ear not taking mm-hmm. it too seriously or anything mm-hmm. So before we start talking athletics and football, I'm kind of curious to learn more about USF, like kind of as an institution, like what are, what are some of the academic programs that they're known for or that are particularly outstanding? And like, what's, what's like the general culture of the school? Right. So I'll, I'll start with, with the obvious on this and that the university of South Florida is located in Tampa. Um, Mm -hmm. It is as of recently, uh, Recently noted as AAU, which is American uh, Associate of American Universities. We were the uh, 69th member uh, for the nice. U.S. schools, so 
we knew that was coming. Um, but I, I would probably categorize USF as one of the top academic profiles in the state of Florida, mm-hmm. biases aside. I mean, mm-hmm. in every metric and every ranking and everything, it's it's usually FSU and UF are, are you know one and two, and then USF is usually that third one when it comes to public universities. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have the University of Miami as well. But when you talk about that academic excellence that USF always touts and always, always pushes, you know, it's it's quote unquote the big three with USF, FSU, and UF. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've tried to accelerate that as much as possible through past leadership with Judy Ginsheft, our former president. Um, she was the one that got us to a preeminent status. She was the main driver on AAU. You know, she was the one that really wanted that academic profile to be raised up as much as possible because you can kind of realize to a point that that's your bread and butter. That's why students choose schools most times is they want that good academic profile. So the Muma College of Business, which is probably the one of the top runners for us, has a partnership with Vinick Sports Management, who owns the Tampa Bay Lightning, has uh, done a lot of developments within the Tampa area as well. So they try to leverage as much as they possibly can in a huge metropolitan city that has a booming hockey team, a booming football team, mm-hmm. a booming baseball team, even really. So that's kind of your 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 A1 is, is that college of business. But then you look at the cancer research that they do at Moffitt and, and the hospital system there, you know, that's that's probably, you know, 1A and 1B. Those two programs are are bar none the best that you can probably get in the state of Florida outside of the University of Florida, mm-hmm. <laughs> which is getting even more and more selective and harder and harder to get into. So right. I think USF is no longer becoming that fallback school. Mm-hmm. They're becoming their own version of, of this academic excellence profile that a lot of pr- prospective students would probably look into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And for the listeners that don't know, AAU membership is massive. I mean, that's outside of being in the Ivy League, that's probably the biggest uh, designation of, of quality uh, that you can attain as a, as a university. I mean, I, I think that you can't even get a big 10 invite if you're not an AAU member. Right. So it's right. like, uh, it's something that's very aspirational for sure. And I don't even know how many schools in Texas have AAU status. I mean, maybe three, if I had to guess. Yeah. But it's, it's absolutely massive. So, uh, I'm here in big research institution for the AAU membership medical school mm-hmm. and a big focus on business. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Cool. But then, yeah. I mean, just other general, I mean, you can find anything in the undergrad mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, it's a huge school. I mean, how many, how many students? Oh, like 40s, 45,000, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think they just admitted the largest uh, freshman class uh, for the fall this year, um, which they've done for like six years running. It's like the mm-hmm. new biggest class, the new yeah. biggest class. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then as far as like campus life goes, uh, I understand that USF is a pretty young school. Um, I think it's only been around for like 50, 60 years or something like that. Is that accurate? Right. Yeah. Right. About, uh, well, God, we're in the twenties now. Uh, it's like 70 years now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like, you know, no matter how old I am, the nineties were 20 years ago. And it's right. funny how that works. Uh, but I mean, do people in Florida kind of label it as like a commuter school because it's a younger school or what's the perception think- like locally? I think it's, it's getting away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, when I attended USF, uh, from, from, um, 2013 to 2017 to age myself here. Um, you know, it definitely did have that that stigma about it. Was that yes, it's yeah. it's a big growing university. It's the fastest growing school in the nation, but it's a commuter school. You know, it's a it's a school that a lot of the people in in the Tampa area will go to. So mm-hmm. whether they're in St. Pete and they go to USF St. Pete or Sarasota Manatee or, or Lakeland when that was still a campus, 
Um, it, it definitely had that persona that this is a commuter school. This is a school that people go to, not necessarily again as as a community college alternative, but mm-hmm. where you go if you didn't get into UF or FSU. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's starting to steer away from that a lot more. I think um, just knowing what I know and from the inside of things as far as campus life, they're really pushing this campus life, going and being at campus or around campus and building that up a little bit more to kind of give it almost a little bit of a college town feel. So, you know, they're building new dorms, they're building new, you know, points of interest around campus. We just built a brand new honors college um, just a few months ago, actually just opened. And then obviously I think the, you know, prize cow in the room is the on-campus stadium is getting built. Right. And that's huge for that campus life. That that's mm-hmm. that above all else is going to take it outside of being that commuter status because we have to commute to go to Ray J for football games. Yeah. And how, the how far is that drive, by the way? It's about, I mean, on a good day, it's like 20 minutes. Um, yeah. but on on a game day, if it's a Bucks game day or USF game day, I mean, it could take you 30, 40 minutes to get in. I mean, mm-hmm. just to find a parking spot and and get over there because traffic usually ends up being pretty bad so that's just going to totally change the dynamic of the school uh, i think and that's that's the big piece that they've been missing over the last couple of years yeah and is the campus like suburban downtown tampa it's it's uh, it's so it's just outside i mean like literally if you drive on one side of campus you will cross over the line that says welcome to tampa Okay. It's it's kind of divided between the uh town and country, Temple Terrace, uh kind of weird thing, but mm-hmm. it's part metropolitan, part suburban. I mean, you're not gonna find any like gated communities or homes or anything like that close by. You'll get like the normal college housings and whatnot. Gotcha. Um, but I mean, I, I definitely would say it's kind of like a hybrid, but it's the campus itself is basically one square mile gotcha. of of you know, it's not like when you go to Gainesville, you know, you drive through and all of a sudden you take a left turn. That's the College of Architecture or something mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. It's all located between Fletcher and Fowler Avenue. So the growth potential is, is stagnated by that, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of room to grow on that campus. And it's, it's. I mean, if, if for any UTSA fans, when you come into USF for any sporting events or anything, the campus is fascinating to go to. You see and you walk through it and you'll kind of see how this campus has evolved over the years from you know in 1956 when they were founding it and they were kind of just throwing up buildings and oh shit the cold war is going on uh our college of business is a bunker um oh man dude the utsa <laughs> parallels are i mean like almost everything you say right utsa alumni and students who listen to you be like oh yeah that that sounds like us That's right nuts. And we were a former like air force base too mm. um the field that usf was built on was an air force field so we have the history that goes along with that as well. But like none of there's no actual identity to the campus. There's not like, oh, all the buildings are brick. Oh, all the buildings have this sort of architecture style. Mm-hmm. Literally, it's like you took 35 different people and had them all come up with different types of buildings. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how it was built. And so you get these really fascinating corners where you're like, that's your college of of like that's like what the hell do you have in there is that the call like is that chemistry in there like oh i'm having you know um i can't what am i thinking of um starts with an a not architecture why am i thinking of apothecary (laughs) like yes the aesthetic um the aesthetic from different you know buildings on campus just it, it 
it's fascinating. It's mm-hmm. some, it's the coolest thing. And the campus is beautiful too. I mean, living in, in a sunny state like Florida and, you know, having the benefit of, of the coast and everything like that there, you get a really beautiful campus um, that USF is lucky to have around here. Yeah. So you mentioned the on-campus stadium. Definitely want to come back to that in a little bit, but talking a little bit more about kind of big picture stuff. So if anyone has never been to Tampa before, what would be your like kind of elevator pitch to visit Tampa? Like what, what's, uh, what are some of the attractions outside of going to see a USF football game? I mean, don't go to see a USF football game. We suck right now. Um, <laughs> but USF, USF is lucky because it's, it's part of a, a major, major city that just mm-hmm. has a whole lot to say um, or has a whole lot of different uh, appeals to it. So you, you get a little bit of everything. If, if, you have any sort of interests, whether it's the beach, going to theme parks, going to, you know, discover new uh, different culture or anything. Um, we kind of have the benefit of being in the central ish part of the state. Um, so a lot of stuff is within driving distance uh, from us as well. So we, we definitely get that benefit, but the culture within Tampa um, can be found no further than 10 minutes South of campus in Ybor city. That's, I, I recommend people go and also give them a little bit of grain of salt, but there's a lot of history to to the Ebor city side of things. If, if people are interested in history, because it's one of the first cities to be kind of founded and was part of that railroad system that connected the North part of Florida with the South part of Florida. So there's history that's, that's to be seen there. Bush gardens is right across the street from USF. Like I, I'm talking, if you really wanted to, you could walk there. Um, we have some of the best beaches in the world, um, you know, less than 30 minutes of a drive over to St. Pete and Clearwater. And then, of course, it's it's you get kind of the Cuban vibes of, of food if you have different tastes like that. And, you know, I, I just think Tampa has so much to offer and people are starting to discover that, mm-hmm. which is annoying because my rent keeps on going up. But I'm also very proud of it because it's it's come a long way over the last, you know, 10, 15 years at this rate. Mm-hmm. I haven't really spent time in Tampa yet. I just drove through it. And I actually stayed in St. Pete overnight and I was just like blown away by St. Pete. I always tell people to this day, like when they ask like, what's the most underrated place you've ever been? I, like St. Petersburg was awesome. And I just like, was not, I was expecting like, you know, retirement home, you know, snowbird type vibe. And it was like all this cool, like art and breweries mm-hmm. and cocktail bars everywhere. I was oh, like, yeah. man, they kind of got it going on over here. It's not oh, yeah. what I expected. And same, I mean, it's right there. I mean, you you yeah. cross over the bridge, and it, it's it's a new city. It's got a different vibe. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a younger vibe now. It's my my dad used to joke that St. Pete was uh, newlyweds and nearly deads, but now it's it's starting to get a little bit younger, starting to come into itself a little bit more, sure. building up and discovering new parts of itself. Yeah, yeah, and I think that you guys in Tampa have some kind of like floating parade deal. Am I making that up? <laughs> Oh, no, you're not. So uh, every uh, every January, less, it's basically the last Saturday of January, we host uh, this, well, I think it's actually the biggest and the longest uh, parade um, in the United States. It's bigger than Mardi Gras, and it's called Gasparilla. And it essentially operates the exact same way as Mardi Gras does, but it's located on Bayshore Boulevard, which is on the bay. So you have half the crowd is, you know, drunk I'd hate to say drunk 16 to 65 year olds on Bayshore Boulevard. And then you have a floating platoon of just people on boats and police officers out in the water and just a whole lot of people, you know, living out in the Bay as well. Um, And it's to honor a pirate that's not real uh, that goes by the name of Jose Gaspar. And the folklore behind it is uh, Jose Gaspar 
landed on shore uh, of Tampa um, as a Spanish conquistador and uh, took over the city, took the keys from uh, the mayor and uh, takes over the city for the weekend, essentially. So there's a whole lot of pirate festivities. There's a whole lot of drinking. There's a whole lot of camaraderie and partying and everything going on. And it's 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 getting more and more traction away from Mardi Gras, which is a good and a bad thing because it's getting very crowded now. But it is really, really cool to go to. I mean, it's it's beautiful. It's it's a great way to see the city as well. Um, it's just if I have to recommend anything, uh, try to find a way to stay on Bayshore. Don't try to drive. Don't try to take Ubers or anything like that find a way to get near Bayshore. <laughs> Very cool. I love that. I, lo- I love like a city that has a unique festival to it. You know, we have mm-hmm. like Fiesta in San Antonio is our big thing. And, you know, it's just like a three week long celebration of San Antonio's Hispanic heritage and, and all of that. So uh, definitely cool to see on Tampa. Um, even even more unique with the pirate tie-in for sure. <laughs> um, but let's uh, let's start talking about football a little bit. So, you know, USF was founded in the 50s. And, you know, from a UTSA perspective, whenever UTSA first started a football, USF was one of the main benchmarks, um, UCF as well, of like what could be attained here if things go right, right? So it's always like UTSA got to the first bowl game. Well, did we do it before USF or UCF did? You know, we got our first top 25 ranking. Did we do it before or after USF or UCF did? So, you know, it's kind of always been a bit of a historical benchmark and it's cool now that we're in a conference, right? So uh, it even feels like a closer competition, if you will. But uh, take us back to the beginning of the program, the founding of it, and, and give us like a short history lesson of like kind of how the program started up and kind of maybe some different eras of note and uh, how the program's arrived to where it is today. Right. So I, I can... I can speak to it because it was basically been around since I'd been born. Like I, it feels weird to say I was born before a football team had started, but yeah, 1997 um, USF uh, officially kicked off their first year. Um, it took a lot of, a lot of work on multiple sides and, and uh, the founder of our program sort of say is Leroy Selman, um, who's a famous Oklahoma state and a Bucks player. And he was a athletic director for us as well. And he was the one that kind of kickstarted this whole thing for us. So through his guidance and leadership, we were able to create this football team. And I mean, from the humblest of humblest beginnings, um, you know, Jim Levitt was the first coach who, uh, you know, founded this program. And in 1997, we kicked off our first game against uh, Kentucky Wesleyan University at the uh, the old Sombrero uh, here in Tampa and uh, kicked their ass 80 to three in, a, in your first ever football game. And, you know, again, they're an NIA school. They're yeah, yeah. no scholarship I was ask what, like what level competition was. Right. I mean, you're talking like <laughs> we had to pay for their buses to get them down here, essentially, at that <laughs> point. But it did something because it awakened what USF could do because there, there really was no thought into athletics. I mean, there was, but there wasn't like a big thought into athletics prior to this moment. Mm-hmm. Recruiting Tampa, I mean, everyone in the country recruits Tampa. Everyone sends offers to kids in Tampa, but USF never really got a chance to, to kind of stake their claim or anything like that. You know, for, for the early years of the program, you know, I'd say prior to 2007, you could get those kids that, you know, were got, got passed up by, you know, Florida and, and Florida state and Miami and everything like that. You could take those kids that got passed up and you could build a really good football team. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jim Levitt did. And that's what he did for his first, uh, you know, four or five years. You know, from 1997 to 2001, um, we were at FCS and then moved into independent. 
in an FBS. So within four years, your freshman class could technically be playing in FBS football coming off from FCS after your first season. So just accelerated astronomically fast growth there. And then yeah, and you blame. What was like the, the impetus to make the jump as soon as USF did? Oh, it was um, USF was so attractive to, to every prospective conference yeah, at that time. Just the potential. I mean, the potential was there and you could mm -hmm. see it because the, the team was growing and, you know, they were upsetting teams pretty, pretty, I mean, and not too frequently, but they were playing really good football and you could kind of see it and you're like, oh, okay. You know, the school in Tampa, major metropolitan city, you're near FSU, you're near UF, you know, that jump to FBS took up, made a lot of sense. And then for the big East in 2005, they were like, shit. Yeah. We want that team in Tampa. The one that's really hot. That, that's doing really well. Like we want that team, that team that was upsetting like West Virginia mm -hmm. and, and making big strides in their first eight years of existence. Yes. We want that team. So, you know, you, you're like a kid growing up really fast. All of a sudden you blink and you're driving and you're in, you're in an automatic qualifier conference in 2005 and you're, you're hitting the ground running and you're playing well enough that you're getting a little bit of respect. And there's a lot of interest because you're like, well, this team's less than 10 years old. You know, what the hell are they doing playing up against Miami or Pitt or Syracuse? And then, I mean, without any introduction, the 2007 season started. And that's where, I mean, a match to dynamite in the Tampa area has started. And, and for the team to start off, you know, undefeated and move up to number two in the country with a major upset over West Virginia at the time. I mean, well, those highlights will live forever with USF because it was such a pivotal moment. And six days later, uh, we play Rutgers and, you know, the season of upsets continue and we were the next one on the chopping block, unfortunately. And that's, you know, I, I can go into detail and in history about those six days but those six days were the were the you know biggest excitement moments. I mean, a packed Ray J cheering on USF. I mean, there were there were UF fans that were flipping their allegiances to USF yeah. at the time. Like this, this took the floor, like the the state of Florida by shock. And for six days, USF was on top of the world. And they didn't really do anything with it. Um, mm -hmm. End of the year, under, uh, unranked, um, lost in the Sun Bowl um, while they were extremely hungover to Oregon um, and just never really capitalized after that. And I think if you can point to one singular moment that USF's kind of page got flipped and it was it was that it was their coming down moment was that loss to Rutgers. Mm -hmm. You know, the 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 prime, the climb was there. They were all the way there. They were essentially at the top of the world. And then the decline started. And so Jim Levitt got fired a couple of years later for hitting a, hitting a kid, allegedly. And um, Skip Holtz got fired. Skip Holtz couldn't do anything. Skip Holtz was also getting kind of handcuffed behind his back by the uh, administration. They weren't really supporting him in the best way possible. Uh, Willie Taggart came on. Willie Taggart struggled at first, brought us back up a little bit. You know, 2016 and 2017, um, or, uh, 2015 to 2017, USF gets on the rise again. Oh, look at this attractive school. They're still so young, et cetera, et cetera. Quentin Flowers era. Quentin Flowers era, of course. And then, you know, unfortunately, we couldn't capitalize again. And so that was kind of the story of it. And, you know, that war on I-4 against UCF, that the one that everyone loves to talk about, again, it's another missed opportunity for USF. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. an opportunity that USF could have continued to keep that momentum going, ended up just them falling flat, hiring Charlie Strong right after 
Charlie Strong was sleepwalking the entire time, got us multiple recruiting violations. Uh, so we have that to thank him. <laughs> and just the roster got gutted, like completely top to bottom. And so then Jeff Scott comes in. And Jeff Scott, for as nice of a guy as he is, just couldn't get the car started, no matter how hard he tried. And shit happened, like bad stuff happened while he was there, like COVID. You couldn't predict that. That's mm-hmm. that's way out of his realm of of possibility. And and for him, with how much he cared about Clemson, he kind of shot himself in the foot um, a few times along the way too. Kind of not getting he he Clemsoned himself a few times uh, at USF and just couldn't get that engine started and could rebuild the talent. And we were extremely talented teams, just not very well coached. And so four FBS wins and or excuse me, four wins total in the last three seasons under uh, Jeff Scott and fired him against uh after we lost after we got embarrassed by temple and we just you can kind of see where where the stones are lying at this point but the, the semblance of what a house was you have that on the ground it's it's blown up it's it's, it's at the very rock bottom and so in comes Golish who opens up the front door and it's like jesus christ like yeah i was listening to do? the roost podcast our buddies at rice they had uh your colleague seth on and he said that when Golish got to tampa he i think he said he had nine safeties on the roster and only five linemen on scholarship yeah he had uh, 14 safeties 14 safeties <laughs> and and we couldn't have fielded an, an actual offensive line we had i think we had five guys and one of them was injured that would be so sick for seven on seven Oh, it'd be crazy. It'd be crazy. But it's, it's, it's no, uh, I mean, again, Jeff's got nice guy, very open person and and did the best he possibly could. Mm -hmm. It's just his best sucked. (laughs) And that's, that's the truth of the matter. And I I don't think any USF fans will, will discern that. And yeah, at the time it looked like a grand slam hire. Everyone was pointing to every metric possible to say, this is going to work out. And it didn't. Yeah, That's kind and of the I, way the cookie crumbles. I, I stand by. Sometimes good coaches just get into situations where, like you said, they just can't get the rock rolling down the hill. Like if they had that initial big win, and then it can kind of cascade, and they can do well. But I mean, I always point to Scott Frost in Nebraska. Like I don't see any reason why that didn't work. I mean, I would I would hire him at UTSA in a heartbeat, but just the way it plays out sometimes. But um, you did mention this when you're talking about the Skip Holtz era you know, that there was a kind of a sense of a lack of buy-in from the administration, lack of support, right? And I, I've read a little bit about that where I felt like the president didn't care too much about athletics and was just really focused on academics. And, you know, it seems like the, uh, I, I know funding has been secured for the on-campus stadium, right? So it kind of seems like maybe the stone is being turned in that sense. But can you talk a little bit about um, kind of the history behind that, whatever conflict might have been brewing between athletics and academics and, <laughs> and what's changed, right, to get to this point? Right. Yeah. And, and that's, I've alluded to it so many times and and I'll probably preach it to the, to, to the death at this point, but USF never really took football or really athletics in itself very seriously because it didn't see itself as a football and athletics forward university. It was, it was very focused on athletics or excuse me, academics. And so as a result, and, and the, the biggest mistake that I, you know, our athletic director at the time when we were ranked number two, he had no experience working at a university that had a football program. Mm -hmm. And so he kind of hamstrung himself because you have this hot, hot, hot football team that is now, I mean, let's, let's put it in the shoes on, on Monday morning, the AP poll comes out and USF is ranked number two in the country. 
the very first thing he should have done is called up uh, Jim Levitt, called up Judy Ginch after president and said, hey, let's build an on-campus stadium. Let's let's strike iron while it's hot. But they didn't. They were like, this is great. Our football team is ranked number two in the country, but we still have to build up our, you know, our, our athletic or our academic portfolio. We have to mm-hmm. build that up a little bit more. And, and that had been kind of the guys in the mindset of USF since essentially 1997 was if the football team wins, it's great. It's a good plus. It's fine. It's whatever. But it wasn't the focus. And so lately, you know, the last five, six years we've been saying, and the guys in the Daily Stand people concur on this, is that football and athletics is the front porch of the university. That's how you get people in. If you're driving through, you know, going to open houses and everything like that around your neighborhood or whatever you're doing, the front porch is the what you look for. That's the moniker. That's is it's structurally sound. Is the front porch look inviting? Like what's going on there? And for a long time, the administration at USF just didn't focus on that. They 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 said if athletics succeeds, that's great, but this is what we need to focus on first. And so it read it led to a lot of stumblings. You know, we would we would get lucky every once in a while and and come into a good team, a, a, a basketball team making the NCAA tournament, a men's basketball team, I should say. You know, the women's basketball team, you know, being successful for as long as they have been. It's always been kind of like, well, that's great. We kind of lucked into it. Let's see if we can just fan that flame and keep it while it's going rather than, you know, doing what they can to support it. So now under uh, our new president, Raya Law, um, athletic director, Michael Kelly, and the board of trustees uh, member, uh, Will Weatherford, the three of them basically sat down and said, we got to do something about this. We have to fix this. And so that's what it's been for the last two years. I mean, Will Weatherford, two years ago, when we basically put the shovels in the ground on the indoor performance facility for our football team, he said in July of two years ago, he said, we are going to build an on-campus stadium. I don't know if anyone knew he was going to say that, but he said it. He said it out loud in front of a lot of people, in front of media, in front of whomever else was there. And I think Ray Law and, and Michael Kelly like looked at each other and were like, shit, now oh, we shit. have to do now we need to do this. Oh shit. Yeah. And I mean, they 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 hit the ground running on this thing. I mean, they are going at like supersonic speed to get this thing built as quickly as possible while doing it the right way. You know, they could easily build an $80 million erector set stadium and call it the Mounds House and not have water fountains and not have it structurally sound. And they could build what some other schools did and then expand upon it later, but they don't want to do that. They want to build it the right way the first time and make sure it's good and make sure the alumni are getting what they want out of it. And the players are getting what they want out of it. And the coaching staff are getting what they want out of it. And that it's the right fit, no matter what the price tag was. So that's kind of where that, that page got turned is again, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of turning pages for USF's history. And this is the next page. This is, Will Weatherford alluded to it in the end of chapter four and said, we're going to build an on-campus stadium. And here we are at chapter five and we're building that on-campus stadium, which sounds so weird to me still. Yeah. You know, I wonder if like the administration, like success came so easy, so fast. They were like, we don't need to pump a bunch of money into it. You know, they already got the AQ invite, you know, they got to number two, right? I don't know. I don't know if that's ever come up for you guys or. I mean, it probably was. I mean, subconsciously, it, it you know, it was like, why can't they do it again? 
kind of thing. Like they, mm-hmm. oh, they, and when we were successful under um, Willie Taggart with Quentin Flowers, it was like, well, they're doing it again. Good, yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. Like it's yeah. easy. Just, just win football games. Right. Yeah. What I mean, as guys like us know, it's like what you build outside of the gridiron that really sustains a program, you know, your facilities, recruiting budget, all that stuff. So, right. Um, so what's been the early impression of coach Dolish Shafar? I know he uh, was the offensive coordinator at Tennessee when he came in, seemed like a bit of a chaotic search if I remember correctly. So what's, uh, is that accurate? Uh, you're, you're grinning. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes and no. I, I think uh-huh. what ends up happening is that we forget that <laughs> for the longest time, USF kept tripping over itself mm-hmm. because it would rush into things. Um, and, and the greatest example I could ever give is uh, we fired, I'm trying to remember who it was. We fired Stan Heath as our men's basketball coach. And then like three days later, we hired Steve Masello yeah. from, from Manhattan. And it was like, great. Like this guy's got a great track record at Manhattan. This is going to be fantastic. And then like, uh, 12 hours pass and it's like he never graduated college we can't hire him <laughs> like he's legally not allowed to work in the state of florida technically can't work in the state of new york either and so like that happened and amongst other things usf kind of rushed into things and made the rash decision i mean charlie strong too i mean the second that willie tiger bolted it was like well charlie strong's able Mm-hmm. And then they interviewed Charlie Strong and then they, you know, faux interviewed four other people and they hired Charlie Strong immediately. So it's like they wanted to take their time on this and they really wanted to be thorough with it. I think they interviewed a lot of applicants. They interviewed a whole lot of people that were, you know, from very interested to not really interested, but we'll do a courtesy interview and kind of things. And so that was where that all ended up was we all got very impatient because we're like, all right, it's been a month. Like it doesn't take a month to hire a head coach but it, it takes a month to hire the right head coach sometimes. And, Mm -hmm. and that's kind of the impression that we're kind of getting from Golish is he's not going to, you know, beat around the bush with us. He's very straightforward and honest. He knows he's got a rebuild that he's got to do. And he's very clear with those expectations. Um, But if there's a guy that can build it up, it's a guy who's built himself up. You know, he's a guy who came from, was an immigrant um, from Russia with, or came from um, a family of immigrants from Russia and, you know, worked his way up from high school as like a teacher to a football coach to coaching in football or coaching at a university and then working his way up to Iowa State and then working and finding himself in UCF and then at Tennessee. And that's kind of the path that he's had is that upward mobility to take it from ground zero all the way up to the top. And then Tennessee's offense last year was was one of the talks of the season for right. how electric it right. was. And Josh Heupel talked about it was that the offense was good before Golish got there, but Golish took it to the next level. Hmm. He implemented a stronger run game. He implemented a different um, system to make the play calling more efficient and for the play calls to the players to be more efficient to the play calls from the box to the book. Like he, he is so dead set on efficiency that he doesn't tell us anything about this offense. It's, it's actually infuriating because we want to ask him about X's and O's. He won't tell anyone any trade secrets. He does. He keeps this stuff so close to the chest that like even things as little as how the center snaps the football. He doesn't tell anyone. He tells his like he tells the center. 
I don't even think his offensive coordinator knows how the center snaps the football. Like that's, that's the level of trust that he has in everyone in the program. But also he realizes that it's going to take a little bit for the learn to, to be there. And it's going to take some time to implement the system, but when it does start hitting, it's going to hit. And so that's kind of the impression that we got was like, this guy's not fucking around. Like this Mm -hmm. guy knows the build that he has to do is going to do it the right way. It might take a few lumps here and there, but it's going to be fun while it happens. Mm-hmm. As far as this year's go, I mean, roster rebuild, like you said, I mean, are there hopes for a bowl game or is that a step too far at this point? And depends who you talk to. I mean, yeah. when, uh, when we, when we watched the spring game, which our spring game was like, I mean, he didn't want to have the, he didn't want the spring game to be filmed or anything like that. He, he barely even wanted the spring game in the first place. Like if they could have just done like an alumni flag football game and like the players like walked out on the field, the QB like took a snap and, you know, took his, took a knee and just left. That would have been a good spring game for goals. Cause I think you wanted to work on so many other things besides developing a faux spring game for this. But I mean, the expectations I think for most USF fans are three wins is probably a, a good place. Um, the roster got completely overhauled. Like, nearly from top to bottom. I mean, everyone looked at what Deion Sanders was doing at Colorado and Golish isn't that far behind him as far Mm -hmm. as turning over the roster. Um, And he was pretty upfront with us, with us on that. He's, you know, thank God. He was like, thank God Deion did what he did or else it would have been me, the one that's getting interviewed (laughs) for for getting that flag. But I mean, when you're bringing in 40 new guys like that, um, a lot of different starters, a lot of different bodies coming in, you know, not only do they have to acclimate themselves to, let's say the weather down here, you know, in the campus life and everything. Now you got to learn this offense and kind of harmonize yourselves a little bit. So I think that's where, um, you know, most people are like, okay, there might be some growing pains. Oh, and also we get to welcome the university of Alabama to our football stadium, uh, week two. So chalk up one loss already. Um, you get a tough game against Western Kentucky and Austin Reed, who, should pick apart our defense. So you're like, okay, you know, these are losses, but they're understandable losses considering who they are. But then you look around the conference and and not to throw shade at anyone, but USF should be talented enough, you know, from A to Z that they should be able to win football games against teams that aren't building up a talented roster. Like you would hope that <laughs> the Florida speed is there and, and, you know, we're used to the heat and the humidity and, and the pace of the game that you might be able to win a few more games. And I think three wins is that, is that minimum where you feel pretty good about yourself. The four wins, you would match uh, Jeff Scott's total for the entire time he was at USF, which would be, I mean, a one, but I also think that USF can steal a couple of games this year too. So I think five or six might be reasonable just because if this offense starts clicking, it doesn't matter what the defense is doing at that point, mm-hmm. which the defense is the biggest rebuild at this point. Yeah, and it's it's not your daddy's AAC either, right? No, right. So, <laughs> no, no, the schedule but, definitely eases up a bit. Yeah, I mean, we we played Cincinnati, UCF, and Houston last year, and right, BYU. Right. right. Um, yeah, and I know y'all play Rice. Do y'all have Charlotte this year? Yes. Mm-hmm. There you go. Probably right. have ECU. They're reloading. Definitely not as strong as last year. So. Right. And and we play Florida A and M, who I mean, Florida A and M is doing good things under uh, Willie Simmons there. Mm-hmm. But you know, you would still hope that we would be more talented and can. Yeah. can win that game so yeah, that makes but sense. At, at this rate you know if we start off the year oh and six or something like that, if if we end up winning one game this year i 
I think there's going to be a lot of restless fans, but I also think there's going to be a lot of fans that are like, uh, yeah, it's your one. Like, yeah. Well, you know. I think like if I was in your shoes, I would be looking at how they play, how they compete, more so than the scoreboard at the end of four quarters, right? Because that's going to tell you more about how the team's going to, you know, exactly. jump moving forward with the roster rebuilt. Um, on that note, it might be too early to answer this question, but are there any returning players or incoming transfers, high school players that you see as like cornerstones for this program under Coach right. Billish? Yeah, I mean, it's it's early and the spring game really didn't show a lot because there was a lot of guys out um, with injuries, uh, whether that was on purpose or not. Um, I mean, not to go through the full roster or anything, but a quarterback, Gary Bohannon, um, mm -hmm. Baylor transfer QB mm -hmm. and uh, Byron Brown are kind of vying for that number one position. Um, we also brought in uh, Israel Carter, a freshman from Centennial, California. He was, I mean a four-star quarterback and being recruited by Washington and looked like he was heading there. And then all of a sudden we swooped in and nabbed him nice. and um, don't know how that happened. Um, Kelly Joyner, Naquan Wright, who transferred in from Florida. Uh, those two guys are running back might be two headed monsters there. Uh, the wide receiver room. Someone's going to step up. I mean, it's, it's this Tennessee offense from last year who they threw for like 5,000 and a half yards. So some wide receiver is going to be doing good and, I would I'm hope I'm by the sure y'all have a handful of four four guys on the roster being a Florida. I'm sure some guys can can catch a ball and run really fast. Right. Um yeah, seriously. You know, the hope is under goal. I think the 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 best expectation I can give for Gullish is if we can get a 1,000 yard uh wide receiver, that would be a success under Gullish in year mm -hmm. one. I think mm -hmm. that would be the big we still don't have one. Yeah. Um, so that'll be the the big talking point. Um, the defense was abhorrent last year i mean not just wet paper towel status i'm talking like like a nimbus cloud like they, nothing <laughs> you they couldn't stop a soul on defense last year but there's some good pieces on the on the roster i just think they're poorly coached um jason vaughn a defensive end um comes to mind he's kind of like the veteran leader at this point um dj gordon transferred in from minnesota he was kind of a force of will at a at linebacker at times and then the secondary, which was probably the weakest unit last year by far. Um, we have a guy named Amaris Brown intercepted Anthony Richardson at the goal line. Um, excuse me, let me rephrase that. Uh, top five overall draft pick, Anthony Richardson at the goal <laughs> line. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy in the secondary that might be able to step up. But, you know, if the defense is, we've been saying it for like three years, if the defense is bad instead of horrible, yep. you probably win a few more football games. So that's, you know, if they can be bad this year, that'd be great. Like right. ranked right. 110. <laughs> that'd be yeah, great. Uh, have definitely been there before. No doubt about that. <laughs> Outside of football, are there any like kind of marquee programs uh, that you would point out as being particularly strong? This uh, yeah. Uh, our, our women's basketball team is by far the best team that we have on campus. Um, coached by Jose Fernandez, who's been here for like 30 years at this rate. Um, I mean, he's built a, a powerhouse consistent top five, 25 team consistently upsetting and, and getting ranked wins. He's, nice. he's the pivotal guy. Yeah. Um, women's basketball. We never worry about. They're that good. Mm -hmm. um, women's soccer. Also one of our strong programs. We produced four uh, Olympic athletes uh, from that group. Um, Chile's starting goalkeeper is a former USF uh, goalkeeper. So that's probably what I would consider to be like the second best program. Um our softball team is coached by Ken Erickson, uh, who is the team USA coach. So we have that cool little, little 
tidbit of information. So we usually get a fun uh, game at the beginning of the year against Japan, which sucks. Uh, I don't know why they do that every time. And uh, our women's golf program is on a huge resurgence and becoming one of the best, uh, you know, best stories on campus. Y'all are just like San Antonio. You should always have strong golf programs being in Tampa. Come on. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're usually always a a good performer, um, Mm -hmm. bar none. Um, And then our women's sailing team has three national championships. Women's sailing team. Wow. Yeah. They're varsity too. They're, I mean, they compete. um, They compete out of USF St. Pete. So Mm-hmm. Um, if you, if you come into Tampa and you're looking for the, uh, the regattas, it's not there. And, how many schools compete in scholarship, you know, varsity for, for sailing? Oh, you know? it's, it's, it's not that big of a number. I think it's only like a yeah. hundred or something. Oh, it's um, more than I would have guessed. Right. And it, there's a lot of like Canadian schools that are also included mm, in that conference. So, Interesting. um, it's like, I mean, if you put them, if you put a pin in the map and you start in like the panhandle of Florida. And then you start following that all the way down and go all the way up the East coast. Almost every school that is located within 30 miles has a sailing team. And then if you get really drunk and throw a dart at the wall, at the map of like the United States, Wisconsin has a sailing team. Oh, <laughs> that's a, that's my fun fact is we've been like right next to Wisconsin these last couple of years in our, in our conference. Um, and at regattas, so it's like, what <laughs> bizarre i mean i know oh, the yeah. lakes up there are huge but it's still really weird uh speaking of the basketball coach didn't they roast you on twitter recently what, what, yeah. what's the story on that um jose and i are buddies uh, uh-huh. in in the nicest way possible um but i always just kind of joke with him that like oh i'll be your like if you need me coach i'm, I'm ready I'm, I'm ready and willing um you know being five foot eight and not very athletic, you know, just hit me up coach. Um, and so I'll, he, he'll just roast me every once in a while. And nice. he, uh, he let me hear it. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact tweet. You got to love it. So he, one coach that's committed to the bit. Right. So he, um, he does like these like little tweets, whatever he has like a new player. And, um, I said, he said like loading and just like we'll include like a gif or something mm-hmm. and it was like hey it's me i'm your new power f- or i'm your new forward where am i at and he said although i like your enthusiasm communication and great attitude i'm worried about your athleticism your range and creating off the bounce and i've never been roasted so hard in my life <laughs> like i he ended up giving me a bunch of recommendations for my uh trip to europe um because we went to spain and he loves her awesome. spain so he gave yep. me some ad- he he did that, and then he was like, "Hey, also when you go to Spain, go to these places." <laughs> Last question for you: What's the best brewery in Tampa or surrounding area? Oh, buddy! I know we got a lot. I know we got a lot. I'll give you, I'll give you my personal favorite, and then I'll give you the brewery that you should probably go to, and then I'll give you a brewery that's closer to the stadium. Okay. Um. Personal favorite is Florida Avenue Brewing Company. They uh, are over here on Florida Avenue, which is near my house, thankfully. They uh, brew some of the best beer. And it's so tasty. And all their beer, I could just say, is just it's the perfect beer for when you're at the beach and you just need to crush like four or five of them. Okay, It's that beer. We have Yingling, like the Yingling Brewery. Yeah, we just got into Texas like this year. Yeah. Ours is four minutes walking from campus. 
And they just opened up a brand new tap room, which is actually going to end up being a, a watch party spot for away games um, this year. So nice. that, and then if you go to uh, a USF football game at Raymond James Stadium, uh, Cigar City Brewing is uh, no more than like a two mile drive uh, south mm-hmm. of it. And that's probably what I would consider to be the famous craft brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Cigar City being the the, mon- uh, the nickname for uh, for Tampa, it's it's excuse me, it's got some great beers. Um, they always yep. keep a fresh selection on tap as well. Yeah, they have great stuff. I've, I've had a, a few of their beers. Oh, yeah. I'm looking at Highlights. Florida Avenue and it's uh, it's up my alley, man. Oh, yeah. I, I'll tell you. Blueberry wheat ale. Oh, that blue. That one is it's so good. And if you ever come down here, Jared, dead parrot. It's a it's a salt lime lager. Yeah. I mean, I like you, you take a sip and you're you're transported to St. Pete Beach and you just yeah. forget about all the bad things that are happening in the world. Nice. Love that. Well, cool. Anything else that you feel like UTSA fans should know about USF as they prepare to uh, become conference members? We know we're not in South Florida. <laughs> when you look at the map, when you talk about, hey, I'm going to South Florida, Miami, Broward, Dade, we yeah, know that yeah. that's what's considered to be South Florida. In 1956, the Florida legislator decided that Tampa would represent South Florida. And that's just what they decided. We we don't get it either. That They didn't want to build any more schools south of Tampa at the time. They were like, we're done building public schools. No more public schools south of Tampa. It's swamps. It's shit. There's nothing there. But then they opened up FAU, ruined everything. Then they opened up Florida Gulf Coast, ruined everything. We know we aren't in South Florida. But when you look at the geographical center of Florida, it is the villages. We are south of the villages. We are South Florida. <laughs> End of discussion. We okay. know it's not okay. South Florida. We okay. know. Okay. It's, get, get new material. It's, if, it's if, if Southern fans, Florida. Southern yeah. Florida-ish. If if any of your fans roast us on us on that, just tell them the beat the, the bit is dead. We dealt with that for eons and uh, the American yeah. like new material. I, I think that the people that are going to make that roast probably don't listen to us, so probably can't help you too much there. But uh, well, the the, the, ele- the elevated fans will skip it and they'll they'll probably <laughs> just talk about the football record. Unfortunately, I did just find out that. Uh, North Texas, uh, UNT is not in, in North Texas. I would say so. Is it? Is, isn't Denton like just north of Dallas or am I thinking of things? Yeah, they're, they're north of Dallas. I mean, like you can, like, honestly, if you drive past our football stadium, there is nothing until Oklahoma. And you can just like blink and accidentally be in Oklahoma at the casino. I mean, it's like a 30, 45 oh, yeah. minute straight shot. Yeah. So I, I would definitely say it's, it's North Texas for sure. Uh, we, we call it South Oklahoma when we're trying to you know, Russell the Jimmy's a little bit. Oh, um, there we go. That works pretty well. But, Noted. Back well, in mind. Thanks for that, man. You, <laughs> the, the preemptive uh, defense there. I like it. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. You can make fun of our football team being bad. I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you. I'll, I'll roast <laughs> yeah. them too. <laughs> I, I always like laugh like when UT is terrible and or, like our basketball program is just absolute garbage. And people are like, what about your basketball team? I was like, too busy counting championship rings in football to care about basketball. Like that's not going to do anything. Yeah, come on. That's what man. I do with our women's basketball team. I'm like, they're like, oh my god, your your basketball team is terrible. I'm like, no, our women's basketball team is good. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool, man. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been awesome. Uh, I learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners learned a ton as well. Uh, so, where can people find you 
on the internet uh i guess twitter and your your twitter fallback plan if it if it disappears all that good right no uh, i mean twitter it's it's at steeg life uh plain and simple um if you're interested in following my uh, my personal life a little bit more closely where i go to breweries and bars and restaurants uh, my instagram is the same handle and uh then i can also be found on threads uh, under the same moniker as well. So first, uh, first podcast since threads dropped. So we'll gotta, gotta drop Are they going to laugh at this in 10 years or it's going to be, you know, paradigm shift. Uh, I hope, I hope something good happens. Yep. yep <laughs> and then, uh, as far as that coverage goes, any, anything you can share on that or is it still in the dark right now? Uh, it's in the dark for now. Uh, what's the, what's the character limit on threads? Like, can we do like a little mini blogs on threads? Uh, it's not going to be through threads. It'll we'll we'll be so um, first and foremost the the podcast the Illuminati podcast will continue onward. That's yeah. without a doubt. Yeah. Um, everything else is going to go under a different name under a different moniker. Um, when that gets released, uh, you know we'll 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 blast it out and you'll all see mm-hmm. it. Um, but that that's that's soon to come. Awesome. Well, we're excited for you. Looking forward to it. Wish you guys all the best. Thanks, Pray. Appreciate it. Well, yeah. Thanks again, man. And we'll uh, hopefully have you back. Uh, you two saying USF play each other this year, right? Yeah, the Riverwalk rivalry starts this year. The Riverwalk rivalry. Wow. What oh, will Mike Oresco think of next, man? Oh, man. I was pissed when they, so when they did the whole like, welcome to the American thing, which first off, I thought the videos were fantastic. I thought yeah, the coverage yeah. was great. Um, when they posted that Texas one, I was like, oh, fuck. No, they're going to put us with FAU. Like they're gonna do it. And oh yeah, behold, yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing got like three hundred replies, and I was like, yeah. "Just give us the rivalry with UTSA. Call it the Riverwalk it, rivalry." It was three hundred replies, and like two hundred and eighty of them were UCF fans. <sighs> I, I I was this close to just being like, you know what? Full time on Threads. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Reska's not on Threads yet, so you can spare yourself. Exactly. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Hopefully we'll have you back on uh, the week of November 17th as the Riverwalk rivalry gets a start. That game's on ESPN2, 8 o'clock. I think a Friday night game, so that's going to be fun. It's a Friday night. That'll yeah, be, be fun. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, man. Absolutely. Thanks, Jerry. I appreciate you.